You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. And welcome again to the Heartland Labor Forum. Tonight's show is being underwritten by the Office and Professional Employees Local 277 and United Steelworkers District 11. OPEIU, that's Office and Professional Employees Local 277, represents over 10,000 professionals working in various sectors across the United States and New Zealand. Local 277 includes clerical and technical employees in aircraft, manufacturing, banking, and the insurance industries, as well as insurance agents, booksellers, nonprofit employees, administrative assistants, and many of the clerical employees in our local unions. And United Steelworkers District 11, representing 35,000 members in the Midwest, protecting worker rights and organizing the unorganized, we support union-made products. The Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their support. On tonight's show, Amazon is a serial labor law violator. In fact, there's a veritable river of decisions holding the company guilty of violating its workers' rights. But last we checked, Amazon is getting away with it. Tonight on the show, we'll look at the links to which Amazon will go to keep the union out. Then... <clears throat> The end of the UAW strikes is in sight. President Sean Fain this week announced a settlement with the last of the big three General Motors. We're going to talk to Dante Wilson, president of UAW Local 31 at the GM Fairfax plant, and find out more about the agreement. In the news, at Home State Dispensary on 18th Street, you'll now find the workers are Teamsters. And... Lots of bus drive jobs will dis be disappeared if voters disapprove of the three-fourths cents sales tax on Tuesday's ballot. Our feature at the end of the show is Safety First with Mary Ario, and her topics are cleanings, cleanings, hidden threats, heat exposure and personal risk factors, and Didion milling officials found guilty in mill explosion case. And now for the news. 
This is the news from our side for November the 2nd, 2023. Teamsters 955 President Jerry Wood announced that on Monday, workers at the first Kansas City dispensary to organize voted 6-1 to one in an NLRB-supervised election for Teamsters Local 955 to represent them. The owner, Home State Dispensary, fired three workers who had led the organizing drive. Otherwise, the vote would have been 9-1. to one. Kansas City Beacon writer Josh Merchant has a thorough piece about the three-fourths cent sales tax for the bus system whose renewal is on the ballot in the election next Tuesday. Here's what voters are being asked. Shall the city of Kansas City continue to pay a city sales tax for the purpose of developing, operating, maintaining, equipping, and improving a public bus transit system for Kansas City pursuant to contract with the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority? As authorized by Section 94.605 of the Revised Statutes of Missouri at a rate of 3.8% for a period of 10 years. For 20 years, people in Kansas City have paid an extra 3.8 cents sales tax on every purchase they made to subsidize bus service. Merchant writes, on November 7th, voters get to decide whether to continue that tax, which hits poorest families the hardest, or whether to effectively cut nearly a third of the bus service that working-class residents rely on most heavily. If they choose to axe the tax, thousands of Kansas City bus riders may find themselves with no way to get to work, and roads across the metro could become clogged with more cars. The tax provides about 30% of KCATA's budget, and if question one fails, the KCAT says it will be forced to cut weekend and night service on some bus routes and eliminate others entirely. At least 100 transit workers will lose their jobs. So who could be against this? There are some for sure. People in the Northland say they pay the tax but don't get good bus service or a real voice in how the ATA is run. Meanwhile, Kansas City Council member Melissa Robinson supports the sales tax extension in question one but said it asked too much of lower income families. It's a sales tax and they are regressive, she says. She says the city could better afford to pay for public transit if it cut back on tax breaks it hands out for some development projects. In a major step forward for fast food workers and some others, the National Labor Relations Board on October 27th published a final rule on a standard for determining joint employer status. This has been a hot issue for the last decade since the fight for 15 and a union began advocating for fast food workers. The final rule establishes that under the National Labor Relations Act, two or more entities may be considered joint employers of a group of employees if each entity has an employment relationship with the employees and if the entities share or co-determine one or more of the employees' essential terms and conditions of employment. The new rule replaces one from 2020 during the Trump administration. It governs when a franchisee and its parent company become joint employers. That's when both have authority to control essential terms and conditions of employment, whether or not such control is exercised, and without regard to whether any such exercise of control is direct or indirect. What are essential terms and conditions of employment under the final rule? They are wages, benefits, and other compensation, hours of work and scheduling, the assignment of duties to be performed, the supervision of the performance of duties, 
work rules and directions governing the manner, means, and methods of the performance of duties and the grounds for discipline, the tenure of employment, including hiring and discharge, and working conditions related to the safety and health of employees. What does a joint employer have to bargain over? For the purposes of collective bargaining, once an entity is deemed a joint employer, it will be required to bargain over those terms and conditions it controls, and any other mandatory subjects of bargaining it has the authority to control. In simple English, a fast food worker who works at a McDonald's franchise, where many of the labor relations policies are dictated by corporate through efforts at uniformity across the chain, could possibly win a union and then along with workers at other McDonald's franchises, bargain jointly with the corporation in the hope of setting one single standard and contract for all unionized workers at the chain. And on Thursday, November 9th at 7 p.m., Starbucks Workers United and National Allies are convening a call to action for university students, faculty, and staff. <clears throat> they say that it is not acceptable that the institution's students are <clears throat> a part of sink money into a union-busting, law-violating corporation at the expense of our community members. The call is to update campus organizing efforts and plan for a national day of action around Red Cup Day, the biggest sale of the year. Today, there are over 9,000 Starbucks workers in over 360 unionized stores. It's widely known <clears throat> that Starbucks has responded to its workers' historic organizing drive with an unprecedented anti-union campaign. The federal government is currently prosecuting dozens of complaints against Starbucks, encompassing over 200 charges and alleging over 1,100 violations of federal labor law. This makes the coffee giant one of the worst violators of labor law <clears throat> in modern history. Starbucks believes they can intimidate and bully workers fighting for their rights and get away with it, hoping that customers on campus, like students, faculty, and staff, will ignore their wrongdoings in order to get their cold foam fix. <clears throat> Workers are gearing up to take major action on Red Cup Day and need campuses behind them to show their support. Students are being urged to lift up the Red Cup Day actions and faculty to place a letter to the editor or op-ed to boost the reach. For questions, con contact Tally Ginsburg, T-A-L-I dot Ginsburg at workersunited.org. That's the news from our side. The news tonight was read by Mark Galis, Stephen Hill, and I'm Judy Ansel. Listen up. We've got a war zone here today right in our heartland. And across the USA, these multinational bastards don't use tanks and guns, it's true. They've declared a war on us, fight back, it's up to you. There's a war on the workers. There's a war on the workers. There's a war on the workers, and it's time we started calling the shots. Going to work could be the death of you and me, but we're not unarmed. Our weapons, solidarity. Jim Beals and Karen Silkwood, the list goes on and on. But every year that passes, 60,000 more are gone. There's a war on the workers. War on the workers. There's a war on the workers. War on the workers. There's a war on the workers. 
That was War on the Workers by Anne Feeney. I'm Mark Galis, regular contributor to the Heart and Labor Forum. I'm also a labor lawyer, so tonight I'm putting my lawyer hat on to discuss organizing efforts at Amazon and its tactics to keep, keep unions out, which have resulted in numerous unfair labor practice charges. Judy Ansel's here to guide our discussion. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mark. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you some questions to test your lawyerly knowledge. <laughs> uh, first off, What's a ULP? A ULP is an unfair labor practice. Uh, the National Labor Relations Act, Section 8, lists five prohibited practices uh, for employers. Uh, number one is to interfere, restrain, or coerce employees in the exercise of their Section 7 rights. Section 7, of course, has uh, the rights of self-organization, joining a union, bargaining collectively, engaging in concerted activities. Number two is uh, uh, you cannot dominate or interfere with the formation of a union. Number three is discrimination, no discrimination in regard to hire or tenure in employment. Uh, number four is discharge or discriminate against an employee because they've filed charges or they've testified at a hearing. And finally, number five is uh, you cannot refuse to bargain collectively with the representatives, the exclusive bargaining rep of the employees. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, we, I think I know who violates that, that law and commits a lot of ULPs, but we'll let people wonder about that for a minute. <laughs> First off, what's the process of filing a ULP? So when an employer engages in prohibited conduct, uh, the union or the employee or employees would file a charge with the National Labor Relations Board, and that's done through the regional director. The, uh, the NLRB has 32 regions, I believe, that are, that are consolidated into 26 different offices. And so the regional director has a lot of discretion and authority with respect to charges that come into uh, to their offices. The, if it's meritorious, then the regional director will uh, call for an investigation and then uh, would issue a complaint and a hearing notice on the, on the unfair labor practice charge. A hearing is held before an administrative law judge, an ALJ, and the hearing is like a trial. Evidence is taken, there are witnesses, etc. And uh, the ALJ then renders a, a report and recommendations. If one, of the, one or both of the parties are aggrieved, and sometimes it's both because both of them didn't get what they wanted, uh, then you, that would then be appealed uh, to the National Labor Relations Board in D.C., the five-member panel, and they would file what are called exceptions to uh, the report and recommendations of the ALJ. NLRB renders its decision, and after that, it's only appealable to the United States Court of Appeals and then ultimately to the Supreme Court. Well, I'm just going to add something, which is <clears throat> the good thing about filing ULPs is that for a worker, you don't have to hire a lawyer because the NLRB does the investigation, and if they find merit, then they argue the case for you. That's exactly right. The bad thing about it is that it's political. And the president gets to appoint the NLRB in Washington, D.C., which interprets things like we just had on the news where they restored the joint employer rule, which Trump had dumped with his appointees. And the next Republican president will appoint a board that will change it back. That's, right. that's, that, that's, the one, that's the one problem that you don't see so much in the courts. I mean, you do see laws changing over time, but it's more gradual. The NLRB 
administration yeah. to administration, it can be total sea changes yeah. every four or eight years. Yeah, you get whiplash. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so, of course, then we have to say with a caveat that the current charges against Amazon could all go away if we get a Republican president in the next term. But right now, Amazon is <clears throat> drowning <laughs> under a mountain of ULPs or unfair labor practices against it. So what's going on with them? Well, they're certainly keeping the board uh, in business. Uh, they're, they're giving them plenty of work. Ah. Um, we, we all know it's been widely reported how Amazon uh, has faced unionization efforts for the past few years. The, the, the two I wanted to focus on, one is the uh, RWDSU, which is the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Uh, they try to unionize a facility in Bessemer, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And then also the Amazon Labor Union, which uh, is, has unionized uh, a facility called, it's, it's referred to as JFK 8, which is on Staten Island in New York. Amazon has spent millions of dollars on union-busting consultants under the guise of union avoidance. That's the, you know. Literally millions? Literally millions. That, the polite euphemism is union avoidance. I think it's union-busting. But we, we actually know how much they've spent thanks to the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, which was passed in the late 50s. It was a response to uh, some, some, I think mainly some union activity. There had been, you know, Jimmy Hoffa and some possible mob involvement. And so the idea was to create more transparency with respect to corporate and union expenditures with respect to collective bargaining. So because of their reporting requirements, companies have to disclose expenditures that, uh, that go toward persuading employees regarding collective bargaining. So in 2021, Amazon spent $4 million. Last year, they spent $14 million. Now, keep in mind, this does not include legal fees for lawyers because Companies don't have to disclose legal fees if the lawyers are providing advice. Right. Now, what, what's interesting about this as an aside is in the union's reporting, they do have to report legal fees. They do have to report how much they spend right. on lawyers, but the companies don't, which is a strange, right. you know, and, strange fact. And, and if I can continue the metaphor, Amazon has <clears throat> spent a deluge of dollars. <laughs> well, I know for a fact that, I, you know, I know some of these firms that they're hiring and, uh, you know, they're not charging cut rates. I mean, they're charging three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars an hour to-, to, to Are these the top union busting law firms in the country? Yeah, yeah. These would be most of the boutique ones, uh -huh. ones that started as boutiques that now have 500 lawyers nationwide and a you know, an office in every state. But so so that does not include, that $14 million from last year does not include legal fees, which probably is three times that. I mean, that's just my estimate. So, so nationwide in 2020, Amazon had a policy that staff had to leave the facility within 15 minutes after their shift, which was clearly designed to dissuade union talk. Um, they even threatened to call the police when, if people would linger about. So a ULP was filed. The parties entered into a settlement agreement. Just a few weeks ago, uh, a regional director issued a complaint that Amazon is now violating that agreement. They've gone back on that, uh, back on their word. With respect to Bessemer in Alabama, so an election was held in 2021. The union lost by about a thousand votes, but the NLRB ordered a redo because of some egregious unfair labor practices. Here's just a handful of them, the more, the more interesting ones. The, the, the one that I'm, I'm not making this up. One is that Amazon convinced the city to change traffic light patterns yeah. to prevent 
organizers from talking to employees. So what organizers often do is they will set up off company property in a right of way or public property at points of ingress and egress to a facility. And when the employees are coming or going in their cars, when they're at the stoplight, they'll hand them a handbill or a leaflet or some union literature, Mm -hmm. and then they'll go about their business. So they convince the city to, to, to shorten the red lights and elongate the green lights so they not as many, they couldn't they couldn't give their information to as many people and wouldn't have as much opportunity to talk to them i i wish i were making that up but i'm not i mean that that, that was proven as a as a tactic uh, another one which is almost as bad maybe maybe worse in some ways is they convinced the postal service to install a special mailbox cuz you know the ballots were by mail mm-hmm. to install a special mailbox on the facility property under a tent so nobody could see what was going on under the tent in the mailbox. Was anybody in there talking to the employees? Did the ballots that went in the mailbox actually get mailed? That was a problem. Uh, lying to employees about the deadlines of vote, which is pretty common. Captive audience meetings, which we've talked about on the show before, the you know captive audience meetings where they, they take all the employees and put them in a room and say, you need to be in here to hear this, and then they'll bash the union and say how great the company is. Th- those are not per se illegal. There are some states now, Oregon's one, that prohibit them. But on a, on a federal, on a national level, they're still not prohibited. The board has had a few opportunities to get rid of them. They've not done it yet, though uh, it's still on the general counsel's radar screen to do that. Um, they are also offered $1,000 to employees to quit prior to the election so they wouldn't vote. So anyway. Are all of those unfair labor practices? All of those are unfair labor practices, yes. Okay. Firing organizer employees, et cetera. Yeah. So, so the, because of all that, the board ordered a re- redo election, and that was in March of 2022, and the union lost again by 100 votes instead of 1,000. But there were approximately 400 contested ballots. Sometimes ballots are contested because, you know, are they, are they properly in the bargaining unit? What were the circumstances surrounding this person casting their vote? Were they unduly influenced, et cetera? So... Even though that was in March of 2022, there's a hearing about those contested ballots this coming January. Jeez. Because but in almost two years, there have been objections and cross-objections filed. And, you know, also in the interim, there's been some retaliation, organizers fired, although several uh-huh. have gotten their jobs back. So, so that's the Bessemer situation. Do, do they ever count those four hundred votes? Well, they, they haven't. They haven't done that yet because they're they're okay, having they're sequestered. Every, yeah, they're sequestered. Every and and the, both sides have you know, litigated this basically to object to certain ones, to cross-object to certain ones. Th- there was a hearing that was supposed to happen last month that got delayed. So an ALJ is hearing the case in January to decide about these contested Why ballots. Why is it taking so long? Well, in, in part, it's because, you know, the squeaky wheels of justice. The, it takes forever to get through these cases because of, you know, there, there are a number of reasons. I mean, for one thing, you know, there's perpetual underfunding of the NLRB. And so you don't have as much opportunity to have resources to, to devote to this. Gosh, that must be political, too. Yeah, it's, it's very political. I think, they, I think the NLRB got a bump of like 10% more than they wanted this year, which was, you know, a godsend. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, parties file briefs, and it just takes a long time to go through all the writings. You know, you got a brief, you got a response, you got a reply, then you've got, you know, to argue it. And then there are calendars that have to be coordinated, especially if you have— 10 law firms dealing with one case, I mean, which is possible. So th- there, there are a number of reasons that it can take so long. Although this does seem, 
you know, really, really long. long. Yeah. So now Staten Island, you know, we, I also mentioned Staten Island and JFK 8. They won the election in 2022. Right. And that was quite an amazing feat. It was, absolutely was. And the board upheld the election in January. So, you know, at the time, there were about 20 ULPs alleged, and the, the ALJ upheld two of them and issued a cease and desist order. One was threats to withhold wage and benefit increases if there's a union, and also there was some removal of some uh, digital posts about uh, about unionization. Um, there were several that were dismissed by the ALJ because the ALJ said, even though it's not great, it's not a violation of current board law, which will which will be important because the general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo, who's been a guest on this show, uh, she is asking the full board to reconsider the case with those possible changes, captive audience meetings, you know, she, she wants she wants an order from the board saying no captive audience. She wants an order from the board that would rescind workplace rules used to rest, restrict protected activities. I mean that that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So so there's, you know, that's still kind of pending because the general counsel didn't like the resolution. I mean it was great for the election to stand, but with the ULPs, she wants the full board to evaluate that. So now the problem is you've got a union. Uh-huh. So now what? I mean yeah. the next step would obviously be. Bargain. Negotiate a contract. Right. Well, that's the next problem. It's it's bad it's bad enough that they've dragged their feet and they've they've committed all these ULPs and now you've got the union, you've got you're ready for a contract and now they don't want to meet. Yeah, they're gonna pull Howard Schultz of Starbucks, right? That's right. They're gonna they're gonna say, Well, we can't meet until this or we can only meet for half an hour, you know, and then you get the proposals out there and it's like, Well, you know, I don't know if we wanna do that. So so there are a number of <laughs> there are a number of ways that you can you can not agree to a contract or you can d- delay it. Um, so so a ULP has been filed mm-hmm. and a uh, complaint was issued for failure to bargain in good faith and that's pending right now. Um, the, the the problem is, you know, the question that comes up that is, you know, well, why? Like, wh- why can't the board do right. something about this? Right, yeah, yeah. you know, like, a, I wonder, I mean, you say, you know, Jennifer Abruzzo, who's some kind of hero, mm-hmm. uh, can try to force a decision which actually changes how the law is enforced. But that's not good enough. It's because, not. Because we have these corporations, and not just Amazon. We have, uh, we have Starbucks mm-hmm. and we have, we have Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of corporations who are just saying, eh, labor law, we don't have to abide by it. We're just going to keep committing these unfair labor practices. So we have to pay a few fines. Well, the, well to your point, the remedies are very limited, and that's the problem. Uh-huh. Like, you know, if an employee gets fired and, and then is reinstated, they are made whole. They get their reinstate, you know, they get restate to their job, back pay. You know, it's been expanded under the Biden board recently that consequential damages are actually part of that now where, where mm-hmm. things are reasonably foreseen. Like if they miss loan payments or housing payments, those now can be included. Uh-huh. You know, in collective bargaining, maybe you can re- get reimbursed for certain expenses. There are some injunctions to stop ULPs if they're serious enough, but there's no punitive damages. Right. You know, you can you can there's say no jail time. No, you can say don't do that anymore. But the companies are like, yeah, OK. The, the, the thing that would help the most, of course, is the PRO Act. Right. which we, we've talked about on this show, which would change a lot of this. Double yeah, damages, you know, $50,000 penalties for each unfair labor practice, uh, no captive audience meetings, neutral places for election. If, if the parties, you know, agree to do it at the facility, fine. But if not, they have to have a neutral place or, or mail-in. And the most important one, I would say, is if there's no collective bargaining agreement entered into within 90 days, it goes to mediation. And then if they can't come up with a contract in 30 days, 
binding arbitration to resolve that. And that would be like a private judge making the decision between the two sides. Yes. A pro- and forcing a contract. A, a, a neutral party forcing a contract. Because right now, there are no time limits. You don't have to sit down in a right. week, six months, 90 days, whatever. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah, because if you wait a year, then they can get a decertification election. You have to start all over again. It, it, the union members lose interest. When is this going to happen? I thought you said this was going to happen right away. Hey, now we're two raise? years down the road. Where's Where's my raise? Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. That I think that's a really clear explanation of what Amazon is doing and what's wrong with their labor law. Big problems. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for the next section, which is going to be on the United Auto Workers and the contract settlement that they got. Join KKFI on November 2nd at Drexel Hall at Kansas City Iris Center for Music Unites, featuring Calvin Arsenia and Friendly Thieves. Music Unites, a benefit for KKFI, brings together the community for a special night of music. Doors open at 7.30, the concert starts at 8. Go to kkfi.org to purchase tickets and to learn more. If you or someone you know is suffering from thoughts of suicide, you can dial the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. Give me a break. Ten years a quarter trillion. I'm under 30,000. I want to buy a house, but yet I stay in public housing. I'm living check to check, trying to figure out this disconnect. We make me so much money, but yet get no respect. I might lose my job because I ain't a hiree. I do my job and still attempt, so why you yet to hire me? I'm a weirdo with words, might say something you never heard. I'm living in the ghetto, but I should be in the birds. I remember when my daddy didn't work for Jim. They was making money, now the pay we make is trim. You took away our pension and retirement ain't the same. I can work for you for 30, leave with nothing, that's a shame. My family fit poor, I work hard but I'm poor So please understand why we knocking on your door I don't wanna fight and I don't wanna go on strike Only thing I'm really asking is you please treat us right And the other one is Ford They all build cars that their workers can't afford Now make that make sense Cause to me it don't at all We struggle to survive While they live high off the hall Now I'm in line Doing a picket with a sign When treating us fur Eliminates this wasted time And that was UAW On Strike Anthem Big Three By Gemini Ramon The OG and I'm Judy Ansel, and with me in the studio is Tino Scalisi, famous Ford worker. Famous Ford worker. Hi, yeah. Judy. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming in, Tino. So you you got, we think you got a contract? I think there's a, yeah, one is in the offing for sure. 
so as in the UAW, the highest authority of the union is the membership. Uh, so it is subject to ratification. And there has actually been a UAW contract. I think it was with Mac, was it with Mac Trucks? I can't remember, where uh, there was a national uh, agreement um, uh, uh, negotiated, and then it didn't pass the ratification. Uh-huh. Um, and so there was, uh, there was sort of that situation. Uh, we gonna, we're going to be ratifying or not ratifying a contract this, this Sunday. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So it, it's, it's coming up. So the local presidents have already recommended that it go to a vote? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, sort of the next step in the process. So uh, they were all in Detroit um, trying to get an explanation of, you know, how just to answer sort of questions. And they're mm-hmm. going to be doing that as well this Sunday. Wow. So what do you think? Are people going to approve it or not? It's hard to say. You know, it's funny because when all of this first rolled out, you know, we've, we've had a lot of difficulties in the UAW. Um, they've been the uh, subject of federal investigations in the past. Right. Uh, we've elected new leadership at the international level. and Wasn't it Ford people who actually went to jail? There's a yeah. There's a few yeah. of those guys who are. I, I mean, I don't know what their their status is now, but uh, I think that they yeah. Some of them saw the the inside of jail cells as a result of uh, collusion and corruption, and there was a uh, the historic one member one vote where we were uh, we elected a, a reform slate in the UAW, um, and I think that everyone was really excited after convention because there was at convention they raised the strike pay from, I don't remember what it was, it was some like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks or something like that every week mm-hmm. to $500 a week. And so... Still not enough to live on. Still not enough to live on. No, I mean, um, I mean, so I was excited about that because it seemed like it was double what, uh-huh. what, they, what we were going to have to do. But. So what, yeah, so what are the um, reactions of your fellow workers in the plant? Yeah. What are they talking about? What are they excited about? What are they disappointed with? That's a good question. Um, so I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Aaron Nolan, uh, who's a fellow Detroit guy. I don't know if he's listening right now, but if he is. You're a Detroit guy. I'm a Detroit guy. Yeah. yeah and j- give me an opportunity to say that I'm from Detroit, and I'll say it every time. So anyway, I'm from Detroit. I don't know if you guys knew that. <coughs> anyway. I think uh, I knew So it. hello, Aaron. Um, I, talked to, I talked to Aaron today, um, and I talked to some other people who – uh, one of the things that I heard was that, that people are really emotional about and, and that, that you shouldn't make your decision this Sunday based on your emotions. It should be, you know, looking at the big picture. Uh, what is this, uh, this going to mean for, for our futures? Does it do, does it do enough to uh, secure what it is that we need now? You know, the, the first ask was 46%. Right. Um, and well, people so, didn't seriously think they were going to get well, that, did I they? You, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine there's some inside baseball and some inside people who go, oh, well, come on. That's not how these things work. It isn't you know, how it you, works. Well, it isn't how it works. But, I mean, search search us to, to know like exactly how these things work. I mean, we've been left out of the mm-hmm. – uh, sure. I mean, there, there's a process by which rank-and-file members can participate in the negotiations of contracts. But for the most part, by and large, you know, we've been left out of the, of the negotiating process. And I think this is the very first time in – you know, I've been at Ford Motor Company since 1999, and this is the first time that I've sort of seen what that back and forth looks like. And, you know, now everybody knows. You know, right. everybody, everybody knows because if, if you want to know what we're making or what the offers are from UAW or Ford, just Google it. You yeah. Know, that's, that's what right. I had to do in yeah. order for the prompts for this so, show right So now. what is your favorite thing? Because we got we got to go to my interview yeah, with Yeah, favorite Dante thing Wilson. is – what is my favorite thing? Do I have a favorite thing? Oh, God. 
Well, what's going to make your life better? I mean, the thing that's going to make my life better is a little bit more money. Yeah. You know, had someone asked me, there's like, you know, this wasn't all of what you wanted, but, you know, does it come closer for you and your colleagues? And I was like, sure, it comes closer. Yeah, well, you've been working a lot of overtime just to make ends meet, right? Yeah, and so someone said uh, when I when I talked to them before, they's like, you know, there needs to be a wage correction. If Tino Scalise is working voluntary overtime on Sundays, <laughs> then something's really wrong. Uh, yeah. And so because you were, an, I never work overtime if I can help it. In my guy. first year, I want I, I proudly uh, declined. Uh, voluntary overtime 53 times in my first year at Ford wow. Motor Company in 1999. And still, I like and to And now you take that. every chance you can get. Now I take every chance I can get. And, but I have to say this. After this contract, I still – so my big hope was that I would no longer have to work voluntary overtime. That's over. You know, if I need to for extra, fine. But I, I don't think that's, that's going to be a reality. I think I'm still going to have to work oh, some my. voluntary overtime. Okay. Well, we're going to go to my interview that I did Tuesday uh-huh. with um, – or was it Wednesday? Wednesday with Dante Wilson, the president of UAW Local 31 at GM, and hear from him, and then we'll come back. Okay. Hi, this is Judy Ansel, and we're talking to Dante Wilson, president of UAW Local 31. Welcome to the show, Dante. Thanks you for having me. Sure. And we're recording this on Wednesday. This is a big deal. They're saying it's historic and that you've got way more than you've gotten for the past 20 years or so. Are you excited about this deal? You know, listen, after you've done this now twice in the last four years for uh, over 40 days the first time and now 46 days, I would say cautiously optimistic. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, once burned, twice shy. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a, what did I say? Fool me once, right? (laughs) So, yeah, right. uh, I would say we are excited. To, to kind of move into the next phase of uh, of this uh, part of the agreement. Really excited to start digging into the details and, and seeing exactly what's what. And for the membership to get an opportunity to, to do exactly that as well and be able to uh, really have a voice, which they are the the, the highest govern, governing body for us, which is the membership. Right. I realize that you haven't had a chance to look at all the details in, in the the agreement. Do you have an overall impression in terms of how much progress you've made? What our president, Sean Fain, said is is factual. The 25% gains are higher than at any point in, in my entire career, which is 16 years and, you know, dating back to well over 30 years. So that's a factual statement. I mean, these are these are record gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, the details that, that we've seen that have been made public from Ford and Stellantis are really great sticking points, you know, right to whether it's the right to strike over investments or right to strike over uh, plant closures. Uh, those were are, are huge, huge, huge wins for any labor organization. And it's a, a great way for us to uh, exert some some kind of a uh, uh, power or you know just our collective power i should say on the company when they try to do things that we deem to be unfair so even down to winning cola back which is something that that you know for years seemed like a pipe dream now it's a, a real reality so there's no doubt about the factual statement these are record gains uh mm-hmm. one way or enough another right so whether or not that's enough that'll be uh, for the membership to decide, 
and we'll map out that process in the coming week or so. One thing I heard of was that workers are looking for significant gains up front in their wages because their wages have been so depressed for so long. Do you think that's a priority among your membership that they're really going to be looking at what the dollars are right right, right away? Oh, of course. Uh, I, I think uh, anybody would, right? <laughs> anybody, if you had the option of, of taking, you know, $1,000 in your hand and $1,000 given to you over a three-year span, I, I think we both, we all would, would, would absolutely uh, take the one that's, that's up front. So mm-hmm. I get that. I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable concept as, as some, you know, organizations and people may, may try to de- make it sound, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, negotiations are what they are, right? Negotiations are compromise, and you, you, you do have that to some degree. So right. nobody gets everything they want. Do, does it appear that they're really getting rid of two tiers or three tiers or whatever, how many tiers they had? As it relates to wages, from what I've understand, from what I've gleaned, and again, I haven't dug through all the details, the wages will be eliminated. Now, there's still a progression. And, you know, people may feel how they feel about that. But at the end of the day, if we raise the max wage and everybody has an opportunity to make it to the max wage, I think that that's an inherent good thing. Again, now, whether we're talking about whether or not it's enough, that's a whole nother question. Yeah. And now there are there are, for all intents and purposes, some some differentiation in terms of pensions and, and retirement. Right. And, uh you know, those are some sticking points for some people. And I understand that concern. I really do, uh, because I'm not so far away from that. From what I heard, they did not win a full pension rights for the people who were in the tier system. Right. Again, without being able to, to dig through all the details, I do believe that that's a, a part of that. What about the temps? It sounds like uh, what I heard Sean Fain say is that is that after an initial period where anybody with over 90 days would be converted immediately to a regular employee, but then it, the temps will have to work for nine months before they can become a regular employee. That's still an improvement, isn't it? Yep. So from where I understand it to be, I don't know that that nine months was like a mandatory. I think that that was more of a cap. Huh. But again, uh, I'd love to, to, to really get into the finer points of that thing. I have not. And yes, even at that, that would be a, a market improvement instead of the purgatory, which is temporary work that, that we were operating under, you know, for a couple months ago, right? You got people that are in there for years as a temp with no uh, idea of when they could be hired. And that, you know, that's unfair to anybody to just string them along for that period of time. Do you have a lot of temps at the Fairfax plant? I mean, we we have a substantial amount. I would say, sure. uh, uh, I would say at least a couple hundred. Wow. Okay. We're talking to Dante Wilson, president of UAW Local Thirty One. Why do you think GM settled? Well, I think when you have the organizing uh, machine that that is the UAW, and I mean that from the rank and file to their families, to their friends, to the businesses that we support to the organizations that we are a part of, the churches and everything, right? When you have density, this is what you get. When you think about, you know, whether you're talking about politics or social, you either have money or you have people for the most part. 
Uh, very, very rarely do you have a marriage of both money and people. Uh, what the UAW and organized and, and organized labor represents is density, people. Uh -huh. And you saw that mobilize in, in a in a in a great way since you know maybe not seen since uh, Walter Ruther in the '60s. So that is what you saw. So you and think you had to go ahead. Yeah. So you think the level of mobilization that the UAW did was a significant factor in getting this kind of a deal? Absolutely. I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, you don't you don't get what we you don't get the offers that we have currently, right? but for the, the energy and the mobilization across the country that you've seen. So how does that compare to the mobilization that was done during the last strike in 2019? I just think we, we really, you know, going through that prepared us to do it again. Right. So you, you have an ability to kind of look through and see what works, what doesn't. And you, you do that thing that we all hope to do, which is improve upon a situation once you have an opportunity to do it over again. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't think that necessarily there was anything wrong done in 2019. That's not the suggestion because, I mean, uh, Fairfax, we, we had our, you know, our current president, Joe Biden, then candidate right there at our picket line. We had our governor uh, uh, right there at our picket line. So mm -hmm. when you look at that type of mobilization and organization, that that doesn't happen by happenstance. So, uh, but what it does is give us an experience, right? And you do something once, you should be able to, to, to improve upon it about a second time around. So I of think you in, saw that. Yeah, of course, in 2019, GM was the target while Ford and uh, Stellantis or whatever they called it then, uh, were working, which, you know, was ostensibly to put pressure on GM to, to settle and, and become then the, the model for the agreement. The tactics this time were quite different. The so-called stand-up strikes with sporadic stuff. And I know you guys got shut down just because Wentzfeld was on strike. Do you think that that had a greater effect on, on getting this deal than the traditional way? I, honestly, I don't know. I, I will say that the results are the results. And at the end of the day, when, you know, you, you can't argue with 25% raises uh, and, and, you know, keeping the health care, which is a huge, huge sticking point for everyone, exactly where it was. And, and, and so you can't really argue with that. And, and again, COLA, things of that nature. So I don't I, I don't know whether it would have happened the same way with a different strategy. But we know for sure that under the strategy and the leadership that we had, these are the results and you can't argue with those. Those are historic results. So, okay. So what's next? You're going to Detroit tomorrow. You're going to meet with the other local presidents, get briefed. And you guys have a vote, right? Whether to submit it to the membership for ratification. That is true. Okay. That is correct. When do you think you'll have the ratification votes? Do you have any idea? For the membership? Uh-huh. We're, we're uh, setting that out. We're going to kind of talk about that game plan then. So we'll we'll have a little more clarity uh, by end of week this week. And I, I would say it's not going to be a process that drags on. Um, it's not going to be weeks, but mm -hmm. uh, exact dates, we just don't know at this time. Okay. Has uh, Wentzfield gone back to work? Yes. When are you guys going back to work? We actually started yesterday. We oh, got did a, you? A, a text message from General Motors uh, <laughs> starting second shift that day. And, you know, the, the text came in somewhere around 6 a.m. So 
Uh, as you can imagine, everyone was really, really excited to uh, get a text message and phone call from General Motors telling them they got to be to work in 10 hours. So I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially it being on Halloween. It was phenomenal. It was a great, great gesture. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll applaud GM, I guess. <laughs> so one last question. Sean Fain got elected president um, through the first Democratic vote in the UAW, where the members actually had the right to vote. Do you think that made a difference in either participation or who got elected? I guess I don't understand the question. Did it make a difference in that you got the right that your members got the right to directly vote for president rather than doing it at a convention through delegates? That I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, that process in terms of our internal uh, businesses at UAW, that's something we do need to. uh, There's still some kinks to work out. I think everyone being a part of the process is a good thing. I'd love to see uh, more people a part of the process if we're going to do a direct election, which is what we've done. But for it being the first time, I mean, that's something that we'll have to grow over time. Uh, That's because the turnout was really low, right? Yes. But I do think that at the end of the day, however, you know, however we got to where we are at the end of the day, this is a workers revolution and people were fed up. Right. So whether we whoever we had in the the chair at that time, you this the the energy behind them is going to be the same. People are just fed up with corporations uh, taking, 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 and not being able to give anything to the people that actually produce the products. And that doesn't matter what industry you're in. I mean, hell, you see the, the CVS workers across uh, Kansas City area are walking out of their jobs because that 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 corporation is is asking them to do some some outlandish things. So regardless of who and how, I think you're seeing right now workers are all kind of coming together and standing up and saying, "Hey." This enough is enough. It's time for us to, to get our fair share. And if you're not willing to give it to us, then we'll have to take it, you know, at the bargaining table. Got it. Thanks, Dante. Appreciate it. Yeah. And that was you. Dante Wilson, president of UAW Local 31. And now we're just going to hear, hear a brief surprise from Sean Fain, president of the UAW International. We went to each of the big three and proposed an expiration date of April 30th, 2028. We did this for several reasons. First, this allows us to strike on May Day or International Workers Day. May Day was born out of an intense struggle by workers in the United States to win an eight hour day. That's a struggle that is just as relevant today as it was in 1889. Even though May Day has its roots here in the United States, It is widely celebrated by workers all over the world. It's more than just a day of commemoration. It's a call to action. We invite unions around the country to align your contract expirations with our own so that together we can begin to flex our collective muscles. If we're gonna truly take on the billionaire class and rebuild the economy so that it starts to work for the benefit of the many and not the few, that it's important that we not only strike, but that we strike together. Hello, this is Mary Ariel for Safety First. First, cleaning's hidden threat. 
The Link Between Common Products and Occupational Asthma from OHSonline.com for October 11th. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates 17% of all adult-onset asthma cases in the U.S. are related to occupational exposures. The use of cleaning and disinfecting products in the workplace has emerged as a significant source of exposure. Studies have suggested a higher prevalence of asthma among cleaning and maintenance workers compared to other occupational groups. Ammonia is a highly effective cleaning agent found in many household and industrial cleaners, especially for glass and windows. Ammonia evaporates quickly and can irritate the respiratory system when inhaled, leading to coughing, wheezing, and shortness of breath. Sodium hypochlorite, a chlorine-based compound commonly known as bleach, is a powerful disinfectant found in many cleaning products. Inhaling vapors can irritate the airways and trigger asthma symptoms. Many cleaning products contain fragrances and perfumes to impart a pleasant scent. However, these fragrances often consist of a complex mix of chemicals, including phthalates and synthetic musks, which can cause respiratory irritation and trigger asthma attacks. To mitigate the risks for cleaning and maintenance workers, it's important to bring awareness to respiratory risks and implement a program that reduces exposure. When selecting products for cleaning, choose fragrance-free alternatives and consider natural alternatives. Companies also can provide workers with personal protective equipment, ensure properly ventilated workspaces are available, and provide workers with training and awareness for safe handling and use of cleaning products. Next, new OSHA resource, heat exposure and personal risk factors from www.safetyandhealthmagazine.com for October 30th. Although you may be exposed to similar levels of heat and engaged in the same type of work as your coworkers, personal risk factors may cause you to be at greater risk, according to a recently published document available at www.osha.gov. Conditions or medications that can cause a worker to be less likely to sense heat conditions or retain water include diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, mental health conditions, respiratory diseases, blood pressure medications, muscle relaxants, and sedatives. Additionally, some physical or behavioral characteristics may cause a worker to dehydrate more quickly. These include age 60 or older, lower level of physical fitness, pregnancy, acclimatization status, lower intake of water, alcohol use within 24 hours of shift, and use of drugs such as opioids, methamphetamine, and cocaine. Ultimately, OSHA says it's the employer's responsibility to ensure the workplace is safe and healthy for workers. However, a heat injury and illness prevention plan needs the meaningful participation of workers and their representatives to be effective. Finally, Didion Milling officials found guilty in explosion case. From the Progressive Farmer at www.dtnpf.com agriculture for October 18th. Two current and two former Didion Milling employees were found guilty of multiple charges in connection with a 2017 explosion at a Didion Corn Mill in Cambria, Wisconsin, that killed five workers and seriously injured others. Vice President of Operations Derek Clark was convicted on October 13th by a federal jury of conspiring to falsify documents, making false Clean Air Act compliance certifications, and obstructing the OSHA investigation of the explosion by making false and misleading statements. Former Didion Milling Food Safety Superintendent Sean Mesner was convicted on two charges. They include participating in a fraud conspiracy against customers and conspiring to obstruct and mislead OSHA for his role in falsifying sanitation records of cleaning. Because grain, in this case corn dust, can be explosive, OSHA said safety standards 
requiring milling facilities to develop and implement housekeeping programs, including regular cleanings to reduce grain dust accumulation. Clark and Mesner were convicted of participating in a conspiracy to falsify the cleaning log, according to EPA, including directing others to backfill entries for uncompleted cleanings. Check out theguardian.com for September 29th for more information. This is Mary Ario for Safety First. Okay, and uh, we don't have the calendar tonight because we're out of time, but you can find it on the Heartland Labor Forum Facebook page. Tune in next week to the Heartland Labor Forum. The title of the show is Banned But Not Forgotten, The State of Kansas City, Missouri School Libraries and Challenges and Opportunities in the Midwest Since COVID, a study by the Economic Policy Institute. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Check out the rich diversity of programming related to workers and unions at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks to our engineer, Stephen Hill. Stay tuned for the Thursday night special. It's Next Step Forward with Jasmine Jones. listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss, and you can talk back to us too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to heartlandlaborforumkkfi at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM. We still got our pride, because we are the working class and that's the place to be. Good.